Section 13 of Eliah and the Last Essays of Eliah. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sandra Cullen. Eliah and the Last Essays of Eliah by Charles Lamb. Witches and Other Night Fears. We are too hasty when we set down our ancestors in the gross for fools, for the monstrous inconsistencies, as they seem to us, involved in their creed of witchcraft. In the relations of this visible world, we find them to have been as rational and shrewd to detect an historic anomaly as ourselves. But when once the invisible world was supposed to be opened and the lawless agency of bad spirits assumed, what measures of probability, of decency, of fitness or proportion of that which distinguishes the likely from the palpable absurd could they have to guide them in the rejection or admission of any particular testimony? That maidens pined away wasting inwardly as their waxen images consumed before a fire that corn was lodged and cattle lamed that whirlwinds up tore in diabolic revelry the oaks of the forest or that spits and kettles only danced a fearful innocent vagary about some rustic's kitchen when no wind was stirring were all equally probable where no law of agency was understood that the prince of the powers of darkness, passing by the flower and pomp of the earth, should lay preposterous siege to the weak fantasy of indigent eld, has neither likelihood nor unlikelihood a priori to us, who have no measure to guess at his policy or standard to estimate what rate those anneal souls may fetch in the devil's market, nor when the wicked are expressly symbolised by a goat, was it to be wondered at so much that he should come sometimes in that body and assert his metaphor. That the intercourse was opened at all between both worlds was perhaps the mistake, but once assumed, I see no reason for disbelieving one attested story of this nature more than another on the score of absurdity. There is no law to judge of the lawless, or canon by which a dream may be criticised. I have sometimes thought that I could not have existed in the days of received witchcraft, that I could not have slept in a village where one of those reputed hags dwelt. Our ancestors were bolder or more obtuse, amidst the universal belief that these wretches were in league with the author of all evil, holding hell tributary to their muttering. No simple justice of the peace seems to have scrupled issuing or silly headborough serving a warrant upon them as if they should subpoena Satan. Prospero in his boat, with his books and wand about him, suffers himself to be conveyed away at the mercy of his enemies to an unknown island. He might have raised a storm or two, we think, on the passage. His acquiescence is an exact analogy to the non-resistance of witches to the constituted powers. 
what stops the fiend in spencer from tearing guillon to pieces or who had made it a condition of his prey that guillon must take assay of the glorious bait we have no guess we do not know the laws of that country from my childhood i was extremely inquisitive about witches and witch stories my maid and more legendary aunt supplied me with good store but i shall mention the accident which directed my curiosity originally into this channel in my father's book closet the history of the bible by stackhouse occupied a distinguished station the pictures with which it abounds one of the ark in particular and another of solomon's temple delineated with all the fidelity of ocular admeasurement as if the artist had been upon the spot attracted my childish attention there was a picture too of the witch raising up samuel which i wish that i had never seen we shall come to that hereafter stackhouse is in two huge tomes and there was a pleasure in removing folios of that magnitude which with infinite straining was as much as i could manage from the situation which they occupied upon an upper shelf i have not met with the work from that time to this but i remember it consisted of old testament stories orderly set down with the objection appended to each story and the solution of the objection regularly tacked to that the objection was a summary of whatever difficulties had been opposed to the credibility of the history by the shrewdness of ancient and modern infidelity drawn up with an almost complimentary excess of candour the solution was brief modest and satisfactory the bane and antidote were both before you to doubts so put and so quashed there seemed to be an end for ever the dragon lay dead for the foot of the veriest babe to trample on but like as was rather feared than realised from that slain monster in spencer from the womb of those crushed errors young dragonettes would creep exceeding the prowess of so tender a St. George as myself to vanquish. The habit of expecting objections to every passage set me upon starting more objections, for the glory of finding a solution of my own for them. I became staggered and perplexed, a sceptic in long coats. The pretty Bible stories which I had read, or heard read in church, lost their purity and sincerity of impression and were turned into so many historic or chronologic theses to be defended against whatever impugners i was not to disbelieve them but the next thing to that i was to be quite sure that someone or other would or had disbelieved them next to making a child an infidel is the letting him know that there are infidels at all credulity is the man's weakness but the child's strength oh how ugly sound scriptural doubts from the mouth of a babe and a suckling i should have lost myself in these mazes and have pined away i think with such unfit sustenance as these husks afforded but for a fortunate piece of ill fortune which about this time befell me 
turning over the picture of the ark with too much haste i unhappily made a breach in its ingenious fabric driving my inconsiderate fingers right through the two larger quadrupeds the elephant and the camel that stare as well they might out of the two last windows next the steerage in that unique piece of naval architecture stackhouse was henceforth locked up and became an interdicted treasure with the book the objections and solutions gradually cleared out of my head and have seldom returned since in any force to trouble me but there was one impression which i had imbibed from stackhouse which no lock or bar could shut out and which was destined to try my childish nerves rather more seriously that detestable picture i was dreadfully alive to nervous terrors the night-time solitude and the dark were my hell the sufferings i endured in this nature would justify the expression i never laid my head on my pillow i suppose from the fourth to the seventh or eighth year of my life so far as memory serves in things so long ago without an assurance which realised its own prophecy of seeing some frightful spectre be old stackhouse then acquitted in part if i say that to his picture of the witch raising up samuel oh that old man covered with a mantle i owe not my midnight terrors the hell of my infancy but the shape and manner of their visitation it was he who dressed up for me a hag that nightly sate upon my pillow a sure bedfellow when my aunt or my maid was far from me all day long while the book was permitted me i dreamed waking over his delineation and at night if i may use so bold an expression awoke into sleep and found the vision true i durst not even in the daylight once enter the chamber where i slept without my face turned to the window aversely from the bed where my witch-ridden pillow was parents do not know what they do when they leave tender babes alone to go to sleep in the dark the feeling about for a friendly arm the hoping for a familiar voice when they wake screaming and find none to soothe them what a terrible shaking it is to their poor nerves the keeping them up till midnight through candlelight and the unwholesome hours as they are called would i am satisfied in a medical point of view prove the better caution that detestable picture as i have said gave the fashion to my dreams if dreams they were for the scene of them was invariably the room in which i lay had i never met with the picture the fears would have come self-pictured in some shape or other headless bear black man or ape but as it was my imaginations took that form it is not book or picture or the stories of foolish servants which create these terrors in children they can at most but give them a direction dear little t h who of all children has been brought up with the most scrupulous exclusion of every taint of superstition who was never allowed to hear of goblin or apparition or scarcely to be told of bad men or to read or hear of any distressing story 
finds all this world of fear from which he has been so rigidly excluded ab extra in his own thick-coming fancies and from his little midnight pillow this nurse-child of optimism will start at shapes unborrowed of tradition in sweats to which the reveries of the cell-damned murderer are tranquillity gorgons and hydras and chimeras dire stories of selino and the harpies may reproduce themselves in the brain of superstition but they were there before they are transcripts types the archetypes are in us and eternal how else should the recital of that which we know in a waking sense to be false come to affect us at all or names whose sense we see not fray us with things that be not is it that we naturally conceive terror from such objects considered in their capacity of being able to inflict upon us bodily injury oh least of all these terrors are of older standing they date beyond body or without the body they would have been the same all the cruel tormenting defined devils in dante tearing mangling choking stifling scorching demons are they one half so fearful to the spirit of a man as the simple idea of a spirit unembodied following him like one that on a lonesome road doth walk in fear and dread and having once turned round walks on and turns no more his head because he knows a frightful fiend doth close behind him tread that the kind of fear here treated of is purely spiritual that it is strong in proportion as it is objectless upon earth that it predominates in the period of sinful infancy are difficulties the solution of which might afford some probable insight into our anti-mundane condition and a peep at least into the shadowland of pre-existence my night fancies have long ceased to be afflictive i confess an occasional nightmare but i do not as in early youth keep a stud of them fiendish faces with the extinguished taper will come and look at me but i know them for mockeries even while i cannot elude their presence and i fight and grapple with them for the credit of my imagination i am almost ashamed to say how tame and prosaic my dreams are grown they are never romantic seldom even rural they are of architecture and of buildings cities abroad which i have never seen and hardly have hoped to see i have traversed for the seeming length of a natural day rome amsterdam paris lisbon their churches palaces squares market-places shops suburbs ruins with an expressible sense of delight a map-like distinctness of trace and a daylight vividness of vision that was all but being awake i have formerly travelled among the westmoreland fells my highest alps but they are objects too mighty for the grasp of my dreaming recognition and i have again and again awoke with ineffectual struggles of the inner eye to make out a shape in any way whatever of helvellyn 
Methought I was in that country, but the mountains were gone. The poverty of my dreams mortifies me. There is Coleridge, at his will can conjure up icy domes and pleasure-houses for Kubla Khan, and Abyssinian maids, and songs of Abara and caverns, where Alf the sacred river runs to solace his night solitudes when I cannot muster a fiddle. Barry Cornwall has his tritons and his nereids gambling before him in nocturnal visions and proclaiming sons born to Neptune, when my stretch of imaginative activity can hardly, in the night season, raise up the ghost of a fishwife. To set my failures in somewhat a mortifying light, it was after reading the noble dream of this poet that my fancy ran strong upon these marine spectra, and the poor plastic power, such as it is, within me, set to work to humour my folly in a sort of dream that very night. Methought I was upon the ocean billows at some sea nuptials, riding and mounted high, with the customary train sounding their conches before me. I myself, you may be sure, the leading god, and jollily we went careering over the main, till just where Ino Lakothia should have greeted me. I think it was Ino, with a white embrace, the billows gradually subsiding, fell from a sea roughness to a sea calm, and thence to a river motion, and that river, as happens in the familiarization of dreams, was no other than the gentle Thames, which landed me in the wafture of a placid wave or two, alone, safe, and inglorious, somewhere at the foot of Lambeth Palace. The degree of the soul's creativeness in sleep might furnish no whimsical criterion of the quantum of poetical faculty resident in the same soul waking. An old gentleman, a friend of mine and a humorist, used to carry this notion so far that when he saw any stripling of his acquaintance ambitious of becoming a poet, his first question would be, Young man, what sort of dreams have you? I have so much faith in my old friend's theory that when I feel that idle vein returning upon me, I presently subside into my proper element of prose, remembering those eluding nereids and that inauspicious inland landing. End of section 13